Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of In No Hurry. I am your host, Cole Douglas Claiborne. So happy to be back with you guys for another episode. The music that you hear, as always, is from my good friend Ryan Allwart. And if you have not checked it out last week, Ryan and I celebrated one year of this podcast being out. Ryan was my first guest on the show, as well as the creator of my theme music. And so we got together and talked. Honestly, it was the longest conversation we've had on this podcast. And so just a really, really good conversation. If you missed that, go ahead and check that episode out. This week, I'm so excited to introduce you to a guy named Wayne Dickens, who is the Fellowship of Christian Athletes director here in Bowling Green, Kentucky at Western Kentucky University. And he is just an awesome guy. I never met Wayne until a few weeks ago when he preached a sermon at my church. And I was blown away at the things that he had to say and just his heart for people in kind of the college age bracket and really just the group of people that I have a big heart for as well. Wayne is just an awesome guy, and he's got a great story that not only is one that I think needs to be shared with everybody, but I think it's such a pertinent story for the age group that he works specifically with college athletes, and his life is really just a living example of what he hopes to instill in these young people, and he was able to bring that conversation to the show, and we talked a lot about some of the issues that he thinks are facing young people and millennials and that sort of age group. And it was a fascinating part of this conversation. And his sermon at my church service was all about unity. And as we know what's going on this year with racial injustice and the political stuff that's been going on with the election, unity is something that has been pretty hard to find. And I love Wayne's perspective on this. And I cannot wait for you guys to hear his heart on that topic and what he has to say about unity and everybody loving each other. So thanks for tuning in this week. Here is my friend, Wayne Dickens. Well, Wayne, welcome to the show, man. I'm glad we finally got you on here. You know, we know that you're the FCA director here, but I guess tell us a little bit about you uh, more than just what your job title might might describe. Yeah, so again, thankful for the opportunity and, um, you know, when, when I think back on just my journey, I keep traveling further and further north. So uh, my mom's side of the family is from Miami, Florida, and that's where I was born and spent early part of my life. I, um, <clears throat> we moved a little bit um, further north, and I grew up in Lakeland, Florida, and I um, went to high school there and, and just absolutely loved growing up there in that state. Like and high school football hotbed. Down there. High school football hotbed. We, uh, we produced some pretty good players, and that led me to Auburn University, where, um, where I played for two, from 2001 to 2005. For Coach Tuberville, um, was really fortunate to play on the undefeated team in 2004, and um, graduated there the year after. After that, played short time with the Tennessee Titans. Then I came back to Auburn and served um, on that campus for almost 10 years with Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And then four years ago, I got a call about an opportunity here to um, to be the campus director and team chaplain. Um, with WKU and me and my wife jumped all over that opportunity. So I just kind of keep migrating <laughs> further and further north. You're getting uh, colder and colder weather as you as you move. Thankfully here in, in Kentucky, it's not quite Michigan level of coldness yes. in the winter. But uh, and, and I absolutely love the weather here. It's cool in the mornings. You get all four seasons here. Yes, and um, and so it's it's um, really been good. I I just you know I love it here. Um, my my kids love school here. Um, we love our community, love our church. We attend over at Hillview, and Bowling Green's a really special place. So how did you pivot from playing professional football 
to getting into this uh, this job where you're working with young athletes and that sort of thing? How did you how did you find out that this was the career path you wanted to take? So I was forced into it. Okay. The the the, <laughs> the, the short answer. Um, so to tell my story, what happened was I got released from the Tennessee Titans, and I have always had a job since I was 12, 13 years old, and um, and even worked while I was in college um, playing football. And for the first time in a long time, I didn't have a job, and I didn't know where my next job was coming. Yeah. Um, I, I had some idea that I wanted to go to law school at that point. I had my degree in political science, and, and I thought that might be the path, but I needed an income. And I reached out to our team chaplain, Chet Williams, who's still at Auburn. He's an institution there. He would always get guys connected with alumni who would hire them. And so I called him about getting me connected with an alumni. He offered me a job. And it was a situation where I really, (laughs) yeah, I didn't have any other options. And honestly, looking back on it, if he had known everything about me, we and we had a close relationship, but if he had known some of the things that I was involved in at that time, he would not have hired me. Yeah. Um, but I came on staff with FCA, and over those first couple of months, there was just a conviction in my heart, if I am going to be preaching and representing the gospel, that I got to be living it yeah. in all areas of my life. And once I began walking down that path, I just fell in love with watching people's lives be transformed. Yeah. And um, as they say, the the rest is history. 14 years later, I'm still working with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes and serving coaches and athletes however I can. So would you say that that was when you your, your walk with Jesus kind of took a turn for where it is now? I mean, what was your, your faith journey like, I guess, before that? You mentioned you were maybe involved in some things that this job maybe wouldn't know what somebody would be doing. Yeah. And then I guess what, what was that moment like whenever you kind of described it there, but whenever you, you finally realized like, Hey, I need to turn my life fully over to Jesus and, and start walking down that path. What was that like? And I guess, was it, was that the turning point of it? Yeah. So to, to, to give you some backstory, I grew up with a mother who was very religious. We went to church every Sunday. There was no, um, there was no choice. Yeah. But the church that we were involved in or the churches that we were involved in were very poor theologically, and I watched a lot of hypocrisy. Yeah. And I just couldn't figure out why I would waste the time to go to church on Sunday to pursue God if the people who claimed to love Jesus didn't live any different than anybody else. Yeah. And so even when I came to faith um, my junior year at Auburn, it was a very duplicitous lifestyle where around my Christian friends, we talked about Jesus. And on the weekends, I would go out and drink and smoke and chase women. And so um, the turning point for me was really walking with Jesus and, you know, slowly him forcing me to turn over parts of my life. And that that conversion, you know, I had probably been walking with the Lord maybe maybe two and a half years seriously at that point where yeah. I was committed to reading my Bible daily, going to church on a regular basis, and giving it my full effort. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it was that point where he said, either you're going to be all in um, or you're not going to do this at all. 
that really began to um, supercharge my relationship with Christ. Yeah. And that's such a, a valuable experience, I, I bet, for you as you're dealing with people that are around that same age group that you were just talking about. And those decisions, you know, whenever you're kind of locked into a lifestyle like that, it's it's hard to leave. You know, if you're used to partying every weekend or doing certain things, it's, it's hard to maybe exit yourself from that crowd of people. How did you do that? And I guess people that maybe are listening to this, that that's the season of life that they're in, or maybe even the things that you talked about with your athletes here, that maybe they're going through that season of life, what was your experience like and how do you kind of, how would you advise people that, Hey, like this is how I kind of weaned out of that lifestyle to pursue Jesus. Yeah. So the first thing you have to understand when you walk with Jesus and especially in the way that I came into faith in Christ, um, you've got to be patient. So at that point I was either, so I was 21 years old at the time when I really gave my life to the Lord. So I had spent 21 years of my life living it on my own terms. And it would be crazy to think over the course of a weekend or over the course of six months that I would undo all of that, all of those sin patterns, all of those bad habits, all of those things that I had um, that had become a part of my life that were unhealthy. Yeah. And so what you have to just do the math on, right, is. I'm, I, I will be 42 years old before I have walked with Jesus as long as I did not walk with Jesus. Yeah. And I'm 37 years old, so I'm still five years yeah. away from there, right? Yeah. And so it is a one day, one step at a time process. Yeah. And what we have to be as Christians is really gracious with new believers. Yeah, that's a good point. The Holy Spirit does the work of circumcising our hearts and convicting us and putting us in difficult situations. And instead of judging and um, and chastising young believers, we've got to walk alongside them. And yeah. what I had that, that I am so thankful for is I had a, a brother in Christ, Chet Williams, who had lived a similar lifestyle, who understood the path that I was getting ready to go through. And he just opened up his life to me. Yeah. And we would get in the truck and we would ride and he would go all over the state speaking. And we would just sit and we would talk. And he would explain the faith to me and we would dive into the word and he would help me to understand how to study. Yeah. And what a relationship with Jesus Christ looked like. And it was both the conviction of the Holy Spirit and a dearly loved brother who was willing to make himself vulnerable and say, hey, Wayne, I know exactly what you're going through. Yeah. I, I experienced that same struggle. And that combination is what helped to mature me in, our, in my relationship with Christ. You know, you said you were kind of forced into this job, but you've been doing it now for, you said, 14 years. Yeah. So there's obviously a passion for this job here. Would it, do you think some of that is in part because of that experience you had around that that age group that these that these athletes are in that hey like that was such a pivotal time in my life like I know for me like as a, as a as a teacher and a, and a coach to, to high school kids I can relate because I'm like hey these are the maybe the mistakes that I made in high school or here's here's the things that I avoided and how I avoided it yeah and I you know I have a passion for those kids mm -hmm. and I think that's what fuels me as a teacher. Is it, would you say that those experiences are kind of what fuel you and your job? Obviously, there's probably more to it, yes. but is that a big reason why you've been able to do this for 14 years? Yeah, 100%. Now, don't tell my director this, but I would do this job for free. 
Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm that passionate. Your wife might also not like you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm that passionate about it. And, and the root of it is this. What, what obviously Jesus Christ and Chet Williams gave me and did for my life. I want to be able to do that for others. Yeah. And so that's why we raise 100% of our own support. That's why, you know, we, you know, it's six o'clock right now. And for me to get home at seven or eight, that's an early night. Yeah. You know, we're working 12 to 15 hours during the fall. I'm traveling with the team. I'm making myself available for that moment when I share at a chapel and a and a athlete comes into my office two days later and says, "Hey man, when you talked about offering your life as a living sacrifice, and how I do that as a player already, how that connected with me, and so that is one hundred percent the fuel behind what I do." And and again, the Lord knew how He wired me. Yeah, He knew He just needed to get me involved in this ministry, and I would fall madly in love with with it because it's how he created me and it's what he's created me for. And so, man, I love what I do and, and just so thankful that I have the opportunity and have had the opportunity for 14 years to do this full time. You shared a little bit of an anecdote there, but what I guess, if you think back to your time so far in this job, what are maybe some of the moments or, or instances or encounters with an athlete that have really stood out to you that have been maybe some of the most memorable or just uh, times where you knew that like somebody saw Jesus for the first time or just any instances that maybe come to mind of like that was a really powerful moment that Jesus was really in that moment. You know, it actually happened last week. Really? And, and the Lord keeps blowing me away. So last week I had the flu. Um, and, my, and our normal schedule during the fall is we'll have coaches Bible study on Thursday. We will have team chapel on Friday night. And then I'm there with them on Saturday. And, and I used the first part of the week to prepare and write up Coach's Bible study in chapel. And so last week I was sick and I had the flu. And so Tuesday I go home and I'm sick as a dog. And I'm sick again on Wednesday and I, am, and I can barely get out of bed. So we end up canceling Coach's Bible study on Thursday. Um, but I started feeling better and we recorded our FCA huddle with our pastor over um, at our studio. And he is preaching, and I'm thinking to myself, man, I don't feel well. I need to just cancel chapel tomorrow. And I feel like I heard the Lord say to me in that moment, why would you miss out on the opportunity to preach the gospel to these guys? And so I came in on Friday. I was unprepared. I usually spend a lot of time in preparation and prayer. I grabbed my favorite verse, and I preached chapel. And I spent all night upset because of how bad I felt it was. And all day on Saturday, all day on Sunday, and all day on Monday, I had players texting me, and I had players who came by and met with me because of what I said in that chapel and how it impacted them. Wow. And I laid in the bed sick all week. And you weren't even going to do the, do, the, do the chapel. And I didn't want to do yeah. it because I wasn't prepared and I'm weird that way. But it just reminded me that I am a tool in the hand of God. Yeah. And if I will just be obedient to show up, he will do the work in hearts. And so, you know, this, this week has been great because I've got a chance to meet with 
multiple athletes one-on-one and help them to grow in their faith. And and so, again, man, I, I am just blown away daily by how God uses me in the ways that I don't feel prepared for. Yeah. You hit on something earlier that I think it's such a, it's a problem that, that churches face, that Christians face, and that's there are unfortunately churches and bodies of believers across the country, across the world that it's full of hypocrisy and they're they're not examples of what Christ looks like. And I think, you know, there are a lot of people who I know have walked away from the faith because of experiences like that. And you know, anytime that I get a chance to talk to somebody who's struggling with that, I'm always quick to remind them like that's why we don't serve man, we serve God. Because Amen. they are yep. infallible. God is not God is infallible. Man is fallible. And I assume that you, you know, had a, had the same realization where it was like, you know, those people are are broken, just like me and just like everybody else. Yes. But like, you know, God, they're that they're not they're not God. I'm serving God. Amen. And I guess what was, you know, you mentioned how you kind of had a bad experience with church, but I guess when did you maybe have the realization that like, even though they're imperfect, I still need to be at church and involved in a church body. When I understood that the God of the Bible is not in that church. Yeah. And when I when I became serious about my relationship with Jesus Christ and I began to read the scriptures, I began to really understand who God is. And we are simply the messengers, right? And, and churches are hospitals full of sick people. Every church should have hypocrites, liars, thieves, adulterers it should be full of them right right? because that is why christ came and and what 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 began to work out in my heart was as i grew in my relationship with christ and my experiences with god and him taking care of me and him loving me in spite of i began to see him clearly and understand that these pastors and these teachers and these preachers are not any way close to who he is. Right. And you can only get that when you experience God for yourself. Yeah. And what's what Satan does a great job of is he takes us as broken messengers and he paints the faith with a broad brush. Yeah. And so many people can't get past that personal experience or that hurt that they had with a person to get to know the person of Jesus Christ. Yeah. And so that's always my encouragement is to to dive in and fall in love with God's word because that is the only way to really know yeah. who God is. Yeah, and, and we've seen, unfortunately, uh, cases where pretty prominent figures of the faith, pastors at big churches, have had some pretty public scandals that yes. have brought them down. Um, you know, we just saw that happen with the Hillsong New York pastor recently, and yeah. that's not the only case. And, and you know, I like you said, Satan uses those those examples to turn people away. Like, well, why would I go to church if this pastor yes. is out here cheating on his wife? Yep. You know, and the the thing for anybody who's listening to this, because you know, you and I, we're sinners just like everybody else. You know, our sins might look different, yeah. but in the eyes of God, they're still exactly. just as they're just as as harmful and just as hurtful. And you know, I, I just I think at, at least in this little role that I have with this podcast, you know, I always want to point people to Jesus, not yes. to myself. Amen. And so I, I hope everybody's listening, you know, hears this message and, you know, knows like we're not at church to serve ourselves or serve the person on the stage preaching, but you know, they're going to sin just like we are. They just, Correct. 
you know, the difference between sinners and non-sinners is that our, our Christians and non-Christians is that, you know, Christians have acknowledged that they're broken yes. and that we need a savior. Whereas yeah. non-Christians are saying I can fix everything on my own. And yeah. so, um, it's not that we're, you know, obviously we want to live perfectly. We want to try to live like Jesus, but it's just, we can't. And so, yes. um, you know, those examples that you see in such public ways, you know, I don't know if you had any athletes who maybe have shared the same sentiment where it's mm-hmm. like, Hey, I, I, I was really wronged at church. I had a, yeah. a pastor or a priest or somebody really harm me or my family. Um, what, what are those conversations been like if you've had those with your athletes? So they have been wide ranging. Yeah. And again, you have to go back to the scriptures. The scriptures warn that teachers will be held to a higher account. Yeah. And that you should not desire to be in that position. Yeah. Um, again, going back to me understanding my relationship ver- with Christ versus the religion of going to church. Yeah. Right. When yeah. I have a relationship with, with Christ and I am drawn in and I get to see the perfection of Christ, it daily convicts me. Right. One of the one of the huge challenges and the, the thing that I am committed to in my life is finishing well. Yeah. Right. Because there are a handful of Christian leaders who finish well. And we normally don't appreciate them until they are in a hole. Yeah. Right. You got Spurgeon. You got Dr. King. You got you. You've got great people like that who lived well. If he is alive, I would challenge you not to fall in love with his leadership. Yeah. Because in some shape, way, or form, he is going to disappoint you. Yep. Because he is prone to sin, just like we are. Yep. And so, what I. What I tell um, my athletes that I meet with that have experienced hurt is you haven't experienced anything that's uncommon to man. Yeah. Right? We are all in some shape or form going to experience hurt and failure by those in leadership positions. But that hurt and that failure is a result of sin, and it is not an indictment on who God is. It's an indictment on who we are has fallen broken sinners who hurt each other. That's so good. That's a that's such a great way to put it. I love that. And you know, one thing that I was really excited to, to ask you and to talk to you about is what are like I've had a few people on this show that that work directly with uh with young people. Tyler from Nicole has been yeah. on the show and then yep. uh, another friend of mine who lives up in Minneapolis, he runs kind of a similar young adult ministry. And we talked about just some things that young young adults struggle with or things that that are that are problems for them that we need to address and i guess from your perspective you work with young athletes what are the most pressing matters to the, to the kids that you deal with the most and how can we as christians meet them where they're at to help them with those problems that they're facing and that what, could be faith related it could be life related just what are some things that you've noticed that are that young adults right now are really really struggling with that we could that we could meet them and help them with so we struggle with relationships. Yeah. Um, and what technology and this digital age has created is a false sense of connection. Yeah. Especially this year with having to do everything virtually. Yes. So, again, I'm, I'm showing my age. I'm 37. <laughs> I remember when everybody had a house phone. Yeah. Right? And yep. to be able to talk to that cute girl that you met at school, you had to... Ask her dad yeah. if it was okay. 
right? And you had to worry about them being on the other line listening to the conversation yes. too, and, and, or a sibling. And, and you couldn't call her after nine. Yep. Right? And what, what this generation is experiencing is incredible as far as the technology and the FaceTime. Like FaceTime was on movies when I was growing up. Yeah. Like futuristic sci-fi movies. <laughs> yes, but what it creates is or has created is this false sense of connection. Yeah. So this generation doesn't understand the value of sitting in the room with somebody yeah. and having a conversation mm -hmm. and how different that is than texting, right? Yep. The value that you learn in having a conversation that's live, right? When you, te when you text in conversation, you get to think through your response. Yeah. You don't, you're not quick with it, right? Like yeah. you have to be when you're on the phone. And so they, they have lost so many of those nuances of real relationships, yeah. right? You know you've had a great conversation when you've been in the room with that person and you can make them laugh, yeah. right? Or with that girl that you, you can connect with on a number of different topics. And because of technology and that barrier, they have lost that. And so now you have isolated, um, not only from other Christians who can help them, but from other people. And now they're isolated um, individually because they don't have relationship with Christ. Right. And yeah. so Satan's got these these guys in a perfect spot. Yeah, that's such right? a that's a I never thought of it that way. Yeah, and, and again, his his goal has always been to isolate us. Yeah. Right? To disconnect us from those people and from God who God has intentionally put into our realm. Right? Yeah. You go back to Adam and Eve. What he was trying to do first was disconnect them from God. Yeah. Right? He never showed up when they were in the presence of God. He only questioned God behind God's back. Yeah. And so his number one tactic is isolation. And we're playing into his hands by, um, by letting people feel like live streaming their church is the same as attending. It's yeah. not the same. Yeah. It is not the same. Um, and, and so we've got to get back to being in the same room with each other. Yeah. Whether I get sick or not. This is the first in-person interview I've done for this podcast since April. And it'll be your best interview. <laughs> You're competing with Greg Farrell because he was the last one. No, that no, I did. Greg's good. Greg's really good. But yeah, like I have, I was talking actually last week with the guy that I had on and um, he was the first guest that I had on my show, and, and he actually created the music that I use for the theme music. And you know, he and I—the first time we met, we met at a library up near Indianapolis, and just he and I in a room like this. And it was—and we had still had a great conversation. But he was talking about the challenges that he's faced this year as a creative person, as a musician, because he couldn't do any live shows. He couldn't do anything with people, and you know, like I was telling him for a while, whenever we were on, you know, the height of the lockdown. The podcast interviews that I was doing over Zoom were some of the only social interaction that I was able to have during the week with anybody outside of my wife. Yep. And for a while, you know, we were watching church online. We were watching Greg's Bible study online. We were watching The Call online. We yep. were doing Zoom chats with our small group, with our friends. And it's like, 
I mean, it's just think about how natural this is. You and I, yes. like, it, not that you can't create it over, we can have a similar conversation over Zoom, but it's like you're saying, it's not the same as being in a room with people. And we, I, I liked what you said about like the, the, we're, we're so used to relationships being one way and digital. I never thought about how that has an effect on how we view a relationship with God because our whole idea of what a relationship looks like is so skewed. Yeah, yeah. And and what's interesting is a lot of our athletes, big, muscular football players. Much bigger than me. <laughs> have a very difficult time talking to girls. Yeah. I mean, I am blown away by how much fear it brings to them. Yeah. Pick up the phone and call her. No. You know, rather just Snapchat her. Yeah. Yeah, and, and 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 it's because they have grown up not having to pick up the phone. Yeah. And ask, is Stacy home? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And um and I don't think it's good for us. I, I think there has to be some type of revival as far as just being together. And I think that'll be my prayer is that'll be one of the things that comes out of COVID is after we finally get a vaccine and we are allowed to be together again. Yeah. That there is this flood to put our phones down and yeah. to hang out with each other. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. yeah, I noticed this year just how I actually just wrote an article that kind of included this, but you know, we are so driven for community and relationships as people whether that's through digital or in person, we still crave relationships with people. But at least for me, what I have felt like COVID has heightened is like my intentionality toward my friends and my family. Mm -hmm. Because this year, whenever we, you know, when I, maybe whenever you would normally assume you're going to get together with your family, you might take it for granted a little bit. And now, like, I've not seen my sister since February. She lives in Indianapolis. Mm. I've seen my parents twice. One yeah. of them was Father's Day. And then another time they came down to Bowling Green to visit. I was supposed to go with my dad to the Bears and Titans game a couple oh, weeks ago for oh, Father's Day. Yeah. Got refunded our tickets because of COVID. Couldn't go to that. Yeah. And then I've only seen, I've not seen my grandmother, who's almost 90 years old. I've not seen her since probably February or March. Yeah. And, uh, I, you know, it's made it where the next time that I do see them, I'm not going to take it for granted. Mm -hmm. And like some of my friends, I've only seen a few times. We've had to do some Zoom and, and fa you know FaceTime chats. Yeah. And it's made us more intentional about, remaining connected yep. but it also I, I hope whenever we are out of this that it's going to make at least for me and hopefully everybody else that it's going to make it where we really don't take for granted those relationships and are even more intentional after this about being together and not just being content to text or facetime yeah and, and again we we have been designed by god to be together yeah and when we are together we are so much better yeah my faith has been, there have been so many pastors and men that have dropped little nuggets into my life that I carry on. And their nuggets and their things that I have watched them do yeah. that could not have been done virtually. Yeah. And that's where our society is really struggling is we're not getting that. Yeah. And it's, it's leaving us feeling lonely and depressed and, and what's so interesting about social media right is even when you build a large following on social media 
you don't get any emotional um, fulfillment from that because you know that's not a true depiction of yeah. who you are. It can sound, kind of feel hollow at times. Yeah. It's just your highlights. Yeah, exactly. Yep. I talked uh, to an author earlier this year for this podcast. He wrote a book. His name is Daniel M. And he wrote a book called You Are What You Do and Six Other Lies About Work, Life, and Love. Mm. And in that conversation, we were talking about that same topic about social media and how it can really uh, you know, show a, a really inaccurate uh, depiction of what people's lives are. And I said, I wonder, I wonder like, how many people would resonate. If I was to create a social media or even just curate my feed to where it wasn't highlights, it was just kind of the mundane things that I go through every, every day. How many people would resonate with that? Because, you know, you're so used to, like, I've written a ton about comparison and identity this year. It's probably the one thing that I've written the most about. And a lot of that is based on social media because you see how much uh, effort people put into mm -hmm. curating their feeds. And I've been guilty of it, too, of yeah, trying to look too. a certain way. And, yep. you know, hey, like, this is what I'm doing. This is this great place I'm doing. One thing that was in that book that he wrote was that people are actually going into debt for their social media. Like yes. They are taking trips to places they can't afford. They're buying cars and other things they can't afford yes. to show it on social media to get approval from people that they don't even know, which to me, that's a bizarre <laughs> reality that we are people are actually doing that. And that's yes. bizarre to me. No, it is 100% the truth. And um, I posted a picture last week of me um, and my wife. Yeah. And I've got her in my arms and, you know, I'm kind of leaning her over. Yeah. I have not picked my wife up since our wedding day when I walked her across the threshold, right? Yeah. But I did it for that picture, and that picture to, 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 you know, for my Instagram has gotten more likes than any other picture. Yeah. But that is not an accurate picture, depiction of how we normally live. Yeah. Right? And, you know, be, because that's where our athletes are, we try and be in that space as well. Right. And we're paying an ungodly amount next month to take some family pictures to be able to post. Yep. Now, we, we'll have we, those pictures. On, we just took some a few weeks ago. <laughs> yeah. And it's just like, I am in the wrong profession. Like, I need to own a venue where people come in and take yeah. pictures, and I'd be a billionaire, yeah. you know? So. Yeah. We, we, uh, this year, we, we decided, and we made this decision last year, we're not doing Christmas cards this year. That was another $200 that we were spending yes. for no reason. Just to send it. I mean, what do you do with the Christmas card? You look at it. You maybe put it on your your fridge for a week, mm -hmm. and then you throw it away. That's it. So we took we now my wife and I and I do I want to as well. We always take pictures in the fall. Um, the woman who uh, took our wedding photos lives here in town, and so she takes our photos every year. And I needed new headshots anyway, right. just for stuff that I'm doing. But like, yeah, we take photos every year. But last year I was like, we're spending two hundred dollars to send cards of us to people that have a canned message on it. Yes. We can do that exact same thing with the social media post. You can. And just say, here you go. And it's going to reach more people. <laughs> Merry Christmas. And, and so I, I had a girl on my podcast last year. She's an author. And she said that their family, this is kind of where I got the idea, but she said their family stopped doing Christmas cards and they're taking that money and giving it to people in need. And I'm wow. like, that's a better way to spend $200. It is. Or in some cases, $300, yeah, however much those things yeah. are. And, you know, especially as we get into the holiday season, now I get it, this is, you know, in this this weird year, people might be more apt to send them because they haven't really been able to communicate with people otherwise, right. and that might be something they want to do. But at least for us, like, we're saving that money yeah. and doing other things with it. That's some wisdom. There's a lot of wisdom in that. Yeah. 
What's up, everybody? I'm Spence with Almost Home Clothing, and I kind of know what you're thinking. You have no idea what Almost Home Clothing is. Well, let me tell you a little bit about us. Right now, we have hoodies, we have t-shirts, we have mugs. We're hoping for some hats in the future, but we are just a brand that a portion of all of our proceeds goes to prison reform. Right now, we just wanted to um, give God a chance to show off. So we go in these prisons, we take them through uh, classes, we take them through programs, we shelter them, we clothe them, we do our very, very best to clear up a future for the for these beautiful humans um, that seems a little bit foggy. We would love for you guys to check us out at almosthomeclothing.com or check us out on our Instagram at almosthomeclothing. Hi, my name is Tim Ferrara, founder of Discerning Dad. I would like to invite you to listen to my podcast, Everyday Discernment. My podcast helps Christians grow in discernment and make decisions that honor God. My goal is to help equip you with practical steps in order to make better decisions today by using the Bible as a roadmap to your life. I have guests on my podcast who share stories of a time they had godly discernment and a time they did not, so we can learn and grow together. I've had some amazing guests on so far, like Sean Bowles, Matt Brown, Rashawn Copeland, and Jonathan Rumi, who plays Jesus on The Chosen. I have many more awesome guests planned, and I hope you listen to the Everyday Discernment podcast and that it helps you deepen your walk with Jesus Christ. You can find me, Discerning Dad, on all social media platforms by searching for Discerning Dad, and you can find the Everyday Discernment podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks and God bless. You know, as you as you think about those those things you were talking about, the relationships with the with the kids that they're they're struggling with relationships. Uh, what are some ways that you know either you or, or we as people in, in the community or people that pour into their lives and, and just the church in general, what are some things that we can do better to, to implement uh, tactics to make relationships more personal? Because obviously like right now with COVID, there's only yeah. so many things we can do because there's regulations, but like, I don't know, how do we, not, not saying we have to figure out the solution right now, but like, how do we, how do we fix that? Like, how do we get better at that? Because kids are going to keep getting attached to their phones. And, yeah. you know, I look out in class and I'm starting to give a lecture Every kid is scrolling on their phone. And I'm like, guys, yep. come on. Like, yep. you're attached to your phone. So what we've got to do as Christians is we've got to be more interesting. <laughs> yeah. The church is very, honestly, we are very uninteresting. Yeah. And the reason why we are uninteresting is because we feel like we have to put on this facade of perfection. Yeah. The greatest messages I have ever preached have been the ones where I have been completely vulnerable and shared my failures, my addictions, how I'm struggling. Yeah. And that's what we as the church have to be. We are not Jesus. We will never be Jesus. But what we have to be able to do is show people that this is where I this is where I began. And this is what God has done. Yeah. I am not a finished product yet, but we have to be willing to have honest conversations about our failures, about our struggles, and then we will be more interesting. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, that, that's the only thing that I can think of yeah. is a, honestly, a honesty, a transparency, and an authenticity. Yeah. And if we will become that we won't have any problem leading people to yeah. Christ. Well, that makes me feel a lot better about myself because what I <laughs> what I write most of what I write about is like you know I'm 
I'm probably a lot more vulnerable publicly than a lot of men are. Yes. And a lot of men are scared to be vulnerable about their failures, their insecurities, because it's embarrassing. Yes. And I've written, I mean, that's like, I honestly, to me, that's like, if I had to say what my brand is for content, I, I love being vulnerable. Yes. I, don't, I don't know how else to write or talk. And uh, I, I think it's so true. And that's like one thing that Greg Farrell does well is talk, you know, he relates a lot of stuff back to the time before he was in Christ and mm-hmm. his addictions that he's talked about. And I yeah. think because so many people, that's what we deal with in reality. Is yes. Problems with alcohol, pornography, yes. smoking, you know, chasing after women, whatever it is. Uh, you know, pride, e- yes. egotistical behaviors, like don't shy away from that. And I no. think that goes back to social media. Like you're talking about like, like rather than posting just your highlights, post about, be, you know, be vulnerable. Yes. And so that's, that's my, if anybody, young people listen to this, that's my advice. Cause I think that I would, like you're saying that is much more interesting. And I'd much rather read about that than man, I climbed to this mountain today or I yes. did that, which that's cool and all, but like, you know, Hey, I struggled with this. Maybe you did too. I wrote about it. The scriptures tell us that we all have. There is no sin uncommon to man. Yeah. So your struggles and your failures will be a guide for the person that you're connected to. Yeah. And God intentionally connects us, right? And even in families, there is familiar familiar sin that is passed down. Yeah. And... I would assume, without a shadow of a doubt, that all of the Dickens men in my family have struggled with lust to some degree. But I have never had a conversation with my father or my uncles or my grandfather about lust. Yeah. Right? Yep. But it would have benefited me greatly to have those conversations with And now you know, for your kids, conversations to have. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe even the kids that you work with here at Western. Too. Yeah, I mean, we, we have I say those, kids, they're grown, grown yeah, men and women. Yes, <laughs> yes. Young adults. But, Young adults, yeah. But we've got to just be, we've got to stop being fake. Yeah. And, and I'll say this, I'll tell you this story. One of the things that, because I absolutely dreaded going to church on Sunday, and my mom had to threaten me every <laughs> Sunday to go. You're not getting family lunch if you don't go to church. <laughs> but you know, one of the things that I remember as a young boy that would, and it, it's not the best thing to do, right? But one of the first things that excited me about going to church on Sunday, I found out there was an older deacon in our church that would sit on the back row and curse. And I was like, he's a Christian that curses, <laughs> right? Yeah. And I'm like nine or ten, right? Yeah. But I would make a beeline to go and sit by by him, right? Because I know he would curse. Yeah. Right? But he was being his authentic self. Yeah. Right? And 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 once we become our authentic selves, God can do so much in, in the midst of that. Yeah. I I love that word. That's such a great like be authentic. I yeah. think that's that is my advice to anybody. And I and I wrote one thing that I uh that I wrote earlier this year was, you know, so many people like we, we, we want to be like somebody else. And to me, like, I've definitely struggled with that. Like, man, I wish that I could have had the skill. Like I'd love to be able to play guitar and sing like Tyler does on Sundays. God didn't give me that skill, no, but he gave me the skill to have conversations with people to communicate. And so if I 
wanted to, if I reneged the skills that God gave me and I wanted to take up skills that somebody else had, that means that I'm robbing the world of me. Yes. And I'm the only person like me in this world. There's no other Wayne Dickens in this world. No. Nope. So if you want to be like somebody else, like we don't need that other person. And this is not a new idea, but like yeah. you are robbing somebody and the rest of the world of the gifts that God has given you. And I always have said this too, like the person that you want to be like, they want to be like someone else yes. too. So yes. like, why not just be yourself? Because you. God has, you know, we <clears throat> might say, like for instance, I might want to be up able to play songs on Sundays. God maybe didn't bless me with those skills because he knows that maybe the attention that that would bring me would cause my ego to go in a way that it doesn't need to go to, yep, you know? It. And so maybe that was, that's a way of God protecting me or something. And he's saying, Hey, this is how I can use you. And honestly, if God has told us how he can use us best, why would we want to do anything else? Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, that's at least the, the, the conclusion that I've arrived at. One of that. my favorite quotes, I believe it's from Tony Robbins or one of these motivational speakers. And he, he said, he said, most people are born authentic, but they die a copy. Yeah, that's good. And 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 that just resonates with me that I've got to be me. The unique wiring, thinking, and the skills that God has given me, only I can do them. Yeah. And if I don't do them, then the body of Christ does not function in a way that it's supposed to. Yeah. And again, like nobody wants to be um, isolated as being different, but being different, even if when you look on social media, what's, what is different is the thing that is most attractive. Yeah. So. Yeah. Like what's crazy is that so many people miss the, the really awesome, unique thing about themselves because they're trying to to pose this faux version of themselves to look like somebody else. Yes. And, uh, you know, one of the examples that uh, I had this guy on my, on my show earlier this year, his name is Luke Norsworthy, and he's a author, pastor. He has a podcast as well. And he referenced in his book, uh, if you remember the 2008, I think it was, no, maybe it was 2012 Olympics. Some Olympics recently, Michael Phelps was uh, swimming a race, and this guy from South Africa was right next to him. And there's a famous picture where Phelps is focused in his lane, and the guy next to him is looking he's right looking at, at him. Phelps. Yep. And he's, you know, a half a stroke behind him. Yes. And Phelps ended up winning. And it's like, hey, man, like he focused on his job, on his lane, on yep. his, what, he, what he's doing. And what's ironic is that I think the guy, uh, the South African guy actually had beaten Phelps in that same race earlier than wow. year. And so he's out here looking at him. Yep. And it's like Phelps is just focused on what he's doing, mm-hmm. what he does best. Yes. And he ends up winning the race. And that's I think that, that, you know, especially for you as you work with athletes, like that's such a great metaphor to say, hey guys, like I hate like the kind of the condescending stay in your lane. But right. Like, in the genuine, like, hey, you have been given a lane yes. to, to that to like nobody else is given this lane. Like you've got a full clear path in this lane right here. Yeah. And so many people want to drive in somebody else's lane. And what happens is we wreck. Yeah. And, and you know, in ministry, there's this, there's this trap of looking at other ministries and how big they are, yeah. how many they have. I've been guilty of that with this podcast, comparing it to other podcasts. 
And you know, the blessing of Corona for me is me and my wife are really good one-on-one and in small groups. Yeah. Our ministry will never be huge because we're, we're not wired for that. Yeah. We're wired to have you over at our house, feed you, let our kids run all over you, yeah. and have a really deep conversation. Yeah. And for a, a long time in my ministry, I, I struggled because all of these guys who I perceived as less talented than me, had much larger crowds. Yep. But when I focused in on what God gave me the skill to do, our ministry got so deep and we began to see so much more transformation. Yeah. That's such a good word. I, I, I love talking about this topic because it's something that we just all struggle with yep. so much. Yep. And, you know, you gave it, I talked to you before we started recording that I wanted to kind of talk about this a little bit, but you gave a sermon at Crossland a few weeks ago shortly before the election, and you were talking all about unity. Right. And it was such a beautiful message because we've seen how divisive our country Mm -hmm. has become. And not, I mean, even before this year, I mean, this year has kind of heightened it, obviously, with the racial issues we've seen and then with the election. But what I've seen, too, is division among Christians, Mm. division among the church. And, you know, Greg has preached about this, too, but... Even in the church, unfortunately, now we see people that they will completely disregard someone because they're a Democrat or yep. because they're a Republican. Yep. Unfortunately, too, because they're black or because they're white mm-hmm. or because they're another race. And quite simply, we cannot have that in the church. We right. cannot be an effective body of people trying to reach lost souls if we're already fighting with ourselves. Yeah. And I guess... Um, Maybe for those that haven't heard the, the sermon, first of all, you can find it. I think it's archived on Cross's yes. uh, website. Yeah, it is. Uh, so I'd invite you to go back and listen to it. But I guess what was kind of, you know, in, in a capsule version, what message were you trying to relay to, to, to people with that sermon? So it, it all went back to the original church at Acts. And that was where I think probably four years ago I taught on unity for the first time, and the Lord led me to that passage. Yeah. And what you have to understand about the the first church is they were all that they had. Yeah, They were being persecuted and slaughtered by the government, right? Yeah, Jesus had now ascended into heaven, right? Their, their, their leader, their savior had left them, and they had to figure out how to survive this new reality. And that only that situation only comes in the midst of extreme persecution and hardship. Yeah. And we are so blessed and so fortunate in this country, right? Yeah. That we we easily dismiss people and we think people are unimportant or not useful. Yeah. And that's not what the scriptures have told us about the body of Christ. Yeah. The scriptures have told us that the body of Christ only functions when we have every member functioning properly. So many of our governmental and society issues are not governmental and society issues. They are faith issues. The church has failed in discipling. And that's why we have teenage pregnancy. And that's why we have abortions. The church has failed in discipling men 
which is why we have all of these men that are collecting welfare checks. Yeah. The church has failed. We have failed in our call to go and make disciples because we get hung up on what are we supposed to say, what it's supposed to look like, and being uncomfortable. Yeah. Meanwhile, our house is burning down. And so on, on Sunday, a few weeks ago, when I preached, what I preached was just a reminder that all of these issues in our country, racial, rec, racial, racial reconciliation, right? Yeah. Long twister. <laughs> um, poverty, injustice, lack of opportunities, those are all issues that Jesus has already given us the blueprint for how to resolve. Yeah. When you look at King David in the scriptures, it is the only time a group of people came together under the authority of government where the scriptures say everyone in the nation prospered. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So we've, been all, we've already been given the blueprint, right? If we will submit ourselves, truly submit ourselves to the authority of God, right? And go out and make disciples, be accountable for each other, right? Yeah. Because at the end of the day, if you're a um, small government guy, and these are most of the guys that are my friends, right? Small government, I don't want you messing around with my taxes, yeah. right? I don't want you increasing my taxes. Well, your taxes have to increase when you don't, when your neighbor is impoverished. Yeah. So if we can get him a job, and if we can help him disciple his family, then he gets off the government's payroll. Yeah which lowers your taxes. So you can do it the you can do it the the easy way and let the government take it all slowly eventually. Yeah. Or you can do it the hard way which God called us to and has called us to multiple times through multiple generations. Yeah. And that was really the premise of 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 my message that we think we don't need everybody. But the only way this thing works, our country, our world is if we take care of everybody. Yeah. And those who have more have been given more so that they can help those who have less. Yeah. And as you've watched some of the stuff play out this year, um, you know, I just as a as a as a white man, I can't really fathom some of the things that have happened because I I wrote about this earlier this year basically like, look, I will never have to worry about going to the gro- the grocery store or the gas station and, and if I'm wearing a, a hooded sweatshirt what people might think of yep. me like I think about you know you're you played in the NFL I mean the Rooney rule like yeah. how many minority coaches interview <clears throat> for a head coaching job knowing that they're doing it so that that team could check at the box that yes. they had to, that they interviewed them like I'll never have to worry that I'm just being a box to check yeah you know like I yes. just I, I can't fathom some of the things that Black people and other minorities in this country have had to go through. I mean, I was watching a, a documentary uh, about Bobby Kennedy for mm-hmm. president. It's called Bobby Kennedy for President. Yeah, and just seeing again some of the footage from the '60s, it's like, like I started to tear up, and I'm like, these people are beating this person simply for no other reason but the fact that they're black. Yep, no other reason. Violently beating this person at the counter of their restaurant because their skin is a different color. Yeah. 
And I always thought growing up, like, man, I can't believe that our country lived like that. Yeah. I can't believe we let that happen. Mm. How would I have done, how would I have reacted if I lived in that time? Mm. Well, 2020 was a pretty good indication of what the 60s may have looked like a little yeah. bit. Yeah. And uh, I got to tell you, it's, you know, granted, I'm here in Bowling Green and we haven't seen kind of the stuff that we saw maybe in Louisville and other right. places, but like, it's been so hard to see this, the hatred that still exists in this country. Yeah. And, you know, maybe as you've had athletes, maybe that have come to you to talk about it, what have been, what have those conversations been like? And how have you, how have you advised not just your athletes, but also your kids yeah. how, how to navigate through this time? So again, my perspective is biblical. Yeah. And what we have to understand first is all of these issues that we have now and those issues that we had in the 60s are all a result of sin. Yeah. Right? Racism is a, is a sin that makes me believe for whatever reason that I am better than anybody else. Yeah. Right? And, and that quote-unquote racism can be because of the color of your skin. It can be because of economic status. Yeah. Right? It can be um, because of occupation, um, talent, level, yeah. ability, yeah. lots of different things. Again, it goes back to the, f- the fact that we all need each other, which is biblical. But at the same time, my perspective on being a black man is the perspective I wish I could put in all of my brothers and sisters who happen to be melanated, right? <clears throat> my mom taught me very, at a very young age that because you are black, your life is going to be more difficult. There will be less opportunities, which means you need to be more prepared for that door when it opens because it might only open once. I've never gotten a job or kept a job because I wasn't doing a good job. I know if I'm not doing a good job, I will get my butt fired. Yeah. <clears throat> Which, and so the perspective that my mom gave me and, and my brothers and sisters is being black in America will make you the best version of you. James chapter one says, count it all joy, my dear brothers, when we endure trials of various kinds, because we know that the testing of your faith will produce endurance. But endurance must complete its work so that you may be perfect and complete, not lacking in any area. So my perspective on being black in this country is, it is more difficult, yes, but it will make me the best version of me. I would not want to live in any other country. Where I struggle first is with my black brothers and sisters. The Jews went through the Holocaust. Um, Jews have been the most enslaved people in the entire world. Yet we look generations later, their family structure is strong. Their financial structure is strong. They are people who have risen from the ashes. As the black community, we've got to rise from the ashes, but we've got to rise from the ashes first getting back to the thing that allowed us to survive. Yeah. Slavery, 
Jim Crow, all of those issues. You're going to tell me that as a people, we can go through what we went through and you can't get a job? Right? Yeah. And so we've got to hold each other accountable when it comes to the structure of our family, getting back to our relationship with Christ. Yeah. Right? As a community, that's where black people and black leaders need to be making the first call. Yeah. Now, when it comes to equality in this country, and again, my perspective is different, right? Right. The inequality in this country is God's fault because God does not equally distribute talent yeah. or intelligence or beauty or ability to build financial structure. He picks and chooses who he blesses with more intelligence and beauty, more athletic talent than others. Yeah. Our society fighting for equality is fighting for something that will never occur. Yeah. Unless God starts making every man the same height, with the same IQ, with the same amount of beauty, with the same entrepreneurial mindset. You see what I'm saying? Yep. And so what we need to be fighting for is to create equal opportunities, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. Regardless of the color of my skin, I should have the same access to education that you have, yeah. right? I should have the same access to financial lending, yeah. right? I should have the same access to just basics, right? But where the church fell down is during slavery, during um, Jim Crow, a lot of pastors went up into the pulpit and used and twisted the scriptures to say that the separation of the people was by God. Yeah. And, and I'm not sure that's a sin that we have really eradicated in our churches yeah. because our churches are still largely separate. And we as the church, unless we come together and deal with our issues about race, right? Yeah. Um, then we can't ever call to account lost people because yeah. lost people are doing exactly what they're supposed to do. It's us who are not doing what we're supposed to be doing. And so, again, my perspective is different. Um, I have very firm conversations with a lot of my African-American friends because the lie that, the, that, that black and brown people have been sold in this country is that there are barriers to you achieving. And I can tell you as a black man who graduated from a white institution at Auburn University on full scholarship, who's married, has no kids outside of the home, and not only runs a nonprofit, but also owns a small real estate company that if you're willing to get up at 4 a.m., it's possible. Yeah. Now, if you want to roll out of bed at 9.30 or noon, then there are barriers. Yeah. Right? But in this country, 
for the most part, right? And there's there's always issues and problems. Yeah. For the most part, you can achieve in this country regardless of your skin. Yeah. I would my argument is this that we are more hostile towards poor people in this country than we are towards minorities. Wow. Regardless of your skin. Yeah. Right? Because if you, you kind of just disregard them. Yeah. Yeah. You get the worst schools, right? Yeah. Whether you're white or black, yeah. right? You grew up in a trailer park or the ghetto, you get access to the worst education. Yeah. Which puts you on a path that you're you're already so many steps behind. Yeah. And and so, yes, do we do we have problems? I I, I truly believe we do. But I also believe they have been blown out of proportion to some degree um, because I have a lot of access that my grandfather didn't have. Yeah. And only in only in America can I play football and go to school for free. Yeah. And and so, you know, with me, I have a I really I have a really hard time with a lot of the arguments that are going on culturally right yeah. now. Yeah. It's a great perspective. Yeah. It's a, I, yeah. I appreciate that perspective. I, I mean, I just, I, I don't get to have a lot of conversations like this about that, about race and those kind of topics. And so, um, yeah, I, I love that perspective. And, and listen, as a white man, I, I, I feel bad for you right now in this season, <laughs> right? Because white men have largely been thrown away. Right. Yeah. And said that because you have been given privilege, right, yeah. quote unquote, and what that privilege is, nobody knows that you don't get to have a voice or a say in what's going on. Yeah. And again, we need everybody because had it not been for white men leveraging their power for my grandfather and my grandmother. I would not have the freedoms that I have today. Yeah. I love so, that's a great perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously I want to feel like I can be involved and have a voice. And <laughs> yeah. I mean, at times I have felt like that, that like, hey, and I've had to be cautious. Like, look, I'm aware I'm a I'm a white male who hasn't really had a lot of struggles. I mean, I've been I've been very blessed with a good family. Yeah. Got to go to school. I you know, I played tennis. I was able to, you know, have Great training in the sport of tennis. Got to come here to Western Kentucky, get a great education. And, yes. Um, you know, still paying off my student loans, but uh, <laughs> maybe that'll change under yeah. Joe Biden. I don't know. Who knows? Um, <laughs> that's one thing they keep talking about. But, um, you know, I, I, I've had to honestly, like, felt like I've had to be cautious. Like, yeah. hey, like, I understand, like, I'm maybe the last person that should talk about this, but I love what you're saying. Like, we need everybody to we talk about it. We need everybody. Whether that's a white person, an Asian person, a black person, a Mexican person, you know, anything, like, everybody's got to be involved in the conversations about, you know, racial reconciliation, unity. It's not going to happen if we're already excluding certain groups of people. Exactly. If any groups get excluded, we can't have an honest conversation. Yeah. So whether that's poor people, people of color, white men, we got to have everybody. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. So the final question that I always ask my guests, my show is called In No Hurry. Uh-huh. And uh, I always love to talk to people about, you know, when life does get kind of hectic and crazy and, uh, you know, you, you, re- you know that you need to kind of 
pull back, maybe that's have a Sabbath or whatever, you, however you define it. What are some things that you go to just to kind of slow down? I know you're talking about working 15 hour days and that sort of stuff, but what are some things that you do just to, to pull back on the hurry that's going on in your life? So would you like the Christian answer or the non-Christian <laughs> I answer? I want the Wayne Dickens answer, whatever that looks like. All right. So I'll give you a little bit of backstory. So if that's if that's having a glass of bourbon, then it's having a glass of bourbon. <laughs> so during um so so I'm at Auburn University from 2001 2005. Yeah. And it is the height of World Series of Poker and the poker craze, yeah. right? And so we're playing in college all the time. Phil Phil Ivy, that's Yes, the Phil Ivy and and the, and the guys with the bracelets and yeah. so you know, I really got into it and and how I'm wired, I'm a numbers guy. Um, I like doing the math of playing and, and I'm patient enough to sit at a table for hours because I just, and love, I, I still just love the conversations you have at the table, yeah. doing the numbers. Like poker for me is a combination of so many of the things that I love. Yeah. And so it is the most non-Christian answer. <laughs> But I know plenty of Christians who play poker, so um, you know, me, um, I, I've got a handful of places that I'll play and I play about once or twice a year yeah. and I'll take two hundred bucks and I'll you know, I can play two hundred bucks worth of cards for two or three days. Yeah. And so I'll go for you know, my wife lets me, you know, once or twice a year I'll go and I'll just play cards. Yeah. And I'll just kinda it is the it is the greatest stress reliever for yeah. me. And I come back refreshed and full, yeah. and I usually win a couple bucks. Yeah. <laughs> um, but but that is one of the things for me. But um, other than that, man, just my family and being at the beach. Obviously, growing up in Florida, um, that's a that's a that's one of the things that we do every year. We we actually already have our um, plan for the end of the year nice. trip. We're gonna unless we get shut down, we're gonna go down to Florida and nice. rent a house and sit with my kids on the beach and yeah. build sandcastles and. Um, but, but those are the two things for me, man. When I, when I get an opportunity just to not be in a hurry, yeah, those are two things that I love to do. Love it. Wayne, this is awesome, brother. Thank you so much for your perspective on all of these topics, especially, you know, the, the part here at the end, just about race and unity. And I think it's such an important message right now, especially, you know, as we, as we enter into a new year, I, I people keep kind of talking about how they hope the new year is going to be so different. And obviously I hope it, hope it will, but the issues we face this year, they don't just stop at the change of the calendar. They so, don't. They don't. Know, we're going to be, I think, seeing a lot of this stuff, you know, for years to come. And, and I just think, you know, all this perspective is is one that I hope people hear and it resonates with them because I think that's the approach that we as Christians need to have is everybody's got to be involved in this conversation. And, um, you know, it comes back to love and, and just kind of you know, everybody doing this together. Yep. Yep. We all need each other. Um, as Christians, we all share the same last name, and um, we sat, we have the same dad. So that was one. That was my favorite part of that of that sermon was just that that analogy that hey, when we're in the same house with the same last name, we're going to get along. That's it. And and that to me, it was like you know I, I, I've seen so much infighting along Christians, and you know we are we all have the same last name. I that's thought that it. was such a beautiful way to put it. Like yeah. that what you're saying that's what your household policy is, but like yeah. you know you take that to the big the big C capital C church. Church. We all have the same We last all have name. the same last name and the scriptures say we'll all live in the same house at the end. Yeah. So we got to figure it out. Yeah. Yep. I love that. Wayne, 
Thanks so much, man. This is great. Yeah, enjoyed it. Thank you. Well, I am continually blown away by the guests that we are able to get on this show and the wisdom that they are able to bring to each conversation. And this one with Wayne was no different. Super grateful for his perspective on so many of these topics, including identity and comparison and just the things that young adults are really struggling with right now. And I think what he said about relationships is just so true. And obviously there at the end, just very grateful for him and his perspective on race and unity and those issues that are facing our country right now and how Christians can and should respond to those. Wayne is just such a great asset to our community and my alma mater. And if you want to go ahead and follow him on social media, on Instagram, he's pretty active there. Wayne underscore Dickin five. So he uses the five for the S yes because he said that's how many people are in his family. So if you didn't catch that, you can click on the link in the show notes to give him a follow and you can check out his wisdom over there on social media. He said he tries to use that as a platform to reach his people that he works with, his young adults, his athletes, because that's where they're at as well. So make sure you give him a follow, let him know that you enjoyed hearing him on this show. I'd also love for you to give me a follow on social media. I'm Cole Claiborne on Twitter and Instagram, and you can find me on Facebook, Cole Douglas Claiborne. Would love to connect with you guys. And if you like the content on this podcast, you also would probably enjoy subscribing to my weekly newsletter. A lot of the topics that we discuss on this show, I write about each week in my newsletter and usually try to frame it in the form of a devotional with some scripture and just some quotes and other things that you can use to help inspire and motivate your week. And so I'd love for you to be a part of that community. We're growing each week and I just am so grateful for those of you that have signed up already and have been a part of it. You can head to my website, coleclayborn.com and hit the newsletter tab to sign up or you can just follow the link in the show notes to subscribe for the newsletter. But guys, it is Thanksgiving week, and I am just so, so grateful for you guys for listening and any of you guys that have taken the time to review the show on Apple Podcasts or just reach out to me individually and given me some feedback and some encouragement about the show. I really, really appreciate it. Just so grateful to have the opportunity to do this show and treat this as a ministry and hopefully reach people for the gospel of Jesus Christ. I hope you guys are able to spend this week with friends and family And just relax a little bit. That's what the premise of this show is all about. Hope you guys find some time to do that this week. Eat some good food. Watch some football. Just relax. Not be in a hurry. And we will catch you back here again next week. Happy Thanksgiving, guys.